Hey guys, and welcome to the second episode of the Ascending Earth Gypsy Collective. I am so excited to bring you um, my guest today. Well, our guest, all the way from Canada, we have Austin, and he is going to be chatting to us about. Oh, where do we even begin? All sorts of amazing things today. Um, thanks so much for joining us, Austin. I'm so excited. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Taryn. I'm excited to be here. I'm just totally stoked that we connected and how crazy, like, I only started talking to Austin, how long, Austin, maybe a week ago? I'd say like seven days tops, yeah. How funny. I know, and... it's crazy. So we just connected and you just have all the goods. So <laughs> if this is going to be juicy, everyone listening, this is going to be my juiciest episode yet. Um, let's just <laughs> like kick it off, I reckon. Where do we let's begin? Just, let's just start this. Um, why don't we just talk about, um, you know, your journey so far this lifetime <laughs> my journey so far this lifetime yeah not 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 previous lives Let, let's not complicate well, it. yeah yeah we'll stick, to, <laughs> stick to this life oh my I don't even know where to begin with that question mm. well when um when you first started talking to me you spoke to me a little bit about about um you know growing up in a single parent home with with primarily your mother and your siblings um you know, without that male energy. Let's talk about that. Mm, yeah, okay. Having no, like, masculine sort of figure to follow growing up, per yeah. se, I suppose. Yeah. Oof. That's a... I mean, I guess I didn't really start thinking about it too, too much until I was maybe, like, 16, 17, uh, and that's when I started questioning, like, what does it mean for me exactly that I didn't grow up with a father figure in my life? You know, that masculine archetype growing up as a child throughout my childhood. And that's only kind of when it started, like, coming forward into my consciousness, I think. Right around the time I started to, like, spiritually awaken as well. Yeah, how did that, how did that manifest for you? What was the turning point for your, for your awakening? Mm, my awakening, yeah, I was about like 16, yeah, 16, 17. And I experienced like there was, there was a bit of a turning point. An interesting event kind of happened in my life. And I was kind of stuck in my house for about a good, uh, for the whole summer. And I just came across all kinds of different information about like ascension and spirituality in general. And I started to like think about... I was, I was exposed to like number synchronicities and seeing repeating numbers. And then I started seeing repeating numbers. I started seeing the number three, one, four kind of to a point where it got far beyond coincidental. I started seeing it everywhere. I even remember right when, uh, when that was happening, I was telling my mom, I'm like, mom, I keep seeing the number three, 14 everywhere I go. Like it's, it's ridiculous. And as I'm expressing this to her, I was actually wearing like a wristwatch. And for some reason, this wristwatch had a like running uh, stopwatch. Like it was running in real time. Um, 
And as I'm explaining this there and telling you this, I subconsciously just look straight down at my watch right when it hits three minutes and 14 seconds. And then I freaked out like, mom, it just happened again. Like right here, right now. And then actually (laughs) seven minutes later. Okay. So this is in 2011. I remember now because it was like November 11th um, of 2011. It was like the 11, 11, 11 day coming up. And I knew there was this like mass meditation going on in that day. And I was telling her about this roughly, you know, seven minutes later. And as I'm telling you this again, I just subconsciously look down at my wristwatch right at 11.11. Like, we're talking like 11.10, 11.11, 11.12. And I'm like, oh, my God, it happened again. And, uh... Right. And so just to blow your mind, like just to blow everyone's mind in Canada, it's the fourth of the fourth of a fourth year as well. Yeah. I know. So I we're like in another portal. <laughs> Today is literally 4-4. Four, four. April 4th 2020 I know and there's a huge mass meditation like tonight so that's like that is a timely story perfect (laughs) that's crazy and so what does 314 um mean in terms of um I suppose some people call them angel numbers or synchronicity Mm -hmm. numbers what does it mean Mm, well yeah when I started to like get really curious about it I looked into that and yeah it was definitely in this category of like angel numbers and there were several several meanings for several different like patterns like four 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 three 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 five 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 six 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 and so on and so forth and 314 it was by the definition in this book I had it was like your success is guaranteed just keep your thoughts focused on your desired outcomes so that's like the meaning that's always stuck with me you know, wow. over the last seven years, it's it's been this like relationship I have with numbers, like this bridge of communication between me and like the divine and source. And it's like the relationship of that is just like gotten clear and clear over the years. Like it's like I've programmed all these different sets of numbers to have a specific meaning. It's a rather esoteric like concept and way of like perceiving life, but it's like an undeniable um, part of my life an undeniable like place of communication. Yeah, and I th- I feel like there's no real coincidences, is there? Everything's messages. Everything's a message. Yeah, a hundred percent. Everything's guiding us. Yeah. Let's abolish abolish that spell from our consciousness forever. Nothing <laughs> is coincidence. And so you're plant based as well. Hundred percent. So let's talk about that. Let's talk mm. about how that started. Well, I was actually raised vegetarian for about the first eight years or so of my life. Uh, my mom raised my brother and I on a vegetarian diet. And then somewhere around like the age of like maybe, I don't know, like 10 onward, we kind of, we had a stepdad come into our, into our life and then we had like kind of reintroduced there was meat in our diet again and then growing up. And then throughout like high school and junior high, even I was like, it was always on my mind. Like I always like intuitively was drawn to like not eat meat for like no real logical reason. Just like intuitively, that's where I wanted to like move into that direction. And uh, so throughout high school, I remember I was always like messing around with different like diets and whatever, like gluten free and like going vegetarian here and there and whatever. It wasn't until I was like uh, 21 a few years ago. Yeah, but three years ago that I just knew it was time. I knew this was it. Like, I this is what I want to do. 
and I just watched like two or three documentaries to kind of like boink me out of ignorance completely. And that's all it took. And I've been like totally 100% vegan ever since. What were those documentaries? Um, I think one of them was What the Health. Uh, the other one, I don't know, it might have been like Cowspiracy or Forks Over Knives. Um, I would recommend that documentary Game Changers, though. I love that documentary. Have you seen it? Yeah, I have. Yeah, I have. Oh, yeah. so dope. So dope. There's quite a bit of controversy around that uh, documentary um, yeah, in I've terms heard. of, like, fact, facts and evidence. What do you have to tell people who are, you know, on the fence about that or are suspect, you know, of that? Like the controversy around specifically Game Changers? I mean, yeah, and plant-based in general. Plant-based in general, yeah. Um, I mean, I think my question would be, like, hmm, not sure. I mean, there, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of confusion amongst people. I think around like the idea of protein and like possibly missing out on like some kind of a nutrient or some kind of a possibly gaining some sort of like deficiency but so i'd just be curious to know like what what is it exactly that people think they're missing because every nutrient and micronutrient like mineral vitamin known to man initially is coming from plants and the soil anyway and that's exactly what like cows are eating for example so like i perceive it as just kind of going directly to the source and getting all of my nutrients and all of my proteins all of my needs straight from plants instead of like getting this middleman of an innocent animal involved, let alone like the actual digestive processes that the body has to deal with, you know, when you compare plants to uh, meat, for example, like meat, when it's consumed in the body, it putrefies so fast. So the body needs to eliminate it so fast or it wants to eliminate it so fast. And that's why carnivores in the wild, like they have such small intestines because it's designed they're designed to consume that kind of food it's digested very quickly humans we have intestines that are like 10 times our body length it goes through a process of digestion uh, of digestion so like just just that aspect alone is like a major reason i would think to like consider you know a different path other than of course there's like the whole cruelty aspect behind things and the inhumane aspects of you know that industry but I, you know, I think it takes like, I don't know, at least two days to digest cooked meat. Whereas for example, cooked vegetables, it takes the body about 12 hours and fruit in its raw form takes like one and a half to three hours. Like the body has a much easier way of dealing with foods that are closer to what nature intended than, you know, cooked meat and, and whatnot. Um, yeah, I find it like funny that no one really cares about their health while they're, uh, <laughs> you know, on a carnivore diet. But as soon as somebody decides to turn, you know, to herbivore or plant-based eating, all of a sudden it's an issue. Um, I find that really strange. So my <laughs> yeah. next like lead on from that is um, aside from, you know, all the scientific 
um, bullshit, which I just have no <laughs> yes, time <Jesus>. for. <laughs> um, because facts and data and science is just from the old paradigm. Um, let's let's talk about you know intuitive eating and mm, totally. And um, because why did you turn plant based? What was your reasoning? My reasoning actually initially was like it was definitely an intuitive decision. My, I just knew that it was healthier for no real logical reason. I just intuitively felt that way, and you I just felt like it thought in your about. Body. I felt it in my body, one hundred percent. And just like when I think about the process in which an animal is slaughtered and the whole thing that goes on in that, you know that process it's like can you imagine like the like if a cow they're intelligent animals they're really emotional animals too so the information is complex enough just in the fact that they actually are like very emotional animals that's a lot for our body to deal with but if a cow knows it's going to die you know if you yourself knew you were going to die like you you just knew that was happening can you imagine like the cortisol and the adrenaline that's just absolutely coursing through your veins in those last few moments and then boom it happens and then that's the energy and the food that we're left with like that all of that fear all of that energy that was just like expelled throughout this innocent animal this innocent cow's body is now what i'm about to consume and then let alone all the like actual hormones and steroids and all that other shit that they add to it like it just made no sense to me you know, so intuitively it just, yeah, it didn't, didn't jive. And it's, it's funny because it just goes full circle. What we kill ends up killing us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, when like, we that's eat the greatest, flesh. the greatest irony of all time. Yeah. When we eat flesh um, and when we eat um, animal products, they're the exact same mucus holding foods that clog our arteries and you know cause cause the most damage so the um the next thing is um fasting Mm. so coming on from from that leading into fasting uh let's talk about your journey with fasting totally totally Oh, well, I mean, I've been like fasting intermittently, pretty much consistently for the last two, three years, almost. Yeah, pretty much about the last two and a half, three years. And so it's, it's been around for a while. But just recently, when I was in Costa Rica, like a few weeks ago, my friend and I, we did a seven day water fast. And that was the longest actual fast I've ever done. But before that, the I'd done a three-day fast, um, but this was like a proper seven-day water fast. Like we were just in the perfect conditions. Wow, it was just the perfect place to like rest fully, allow the fast to take its course throughout our bodies and like get a proper detox in. We had really clean water um, and it was just an, a really amazing experience. And so, yeah, fasting has been a part of my life for like three years now. What got into you into fasting that? to begin with? I think it just, I was like really drawn yeah, yeah. into like, I don't know. I, I, I must've got into it through YouTube or something, seeing it through um, the fitness community. 
and it was just this trendy thing and I got curious about it and then I just started actually implementing it and then it worked really well for me and uh yeah I just noticed from practicing it like the mental clarity I would get on a daily basis from like the pattern I was practicing intermittent fasting back then was like I would not eat until like at at the very earliest two o'clock um and then stop eating around like 10 o'clock so like the classic 16 8 window um, and just like acknowledging all the health benefits that go along with fasting and acknowledging that we just don't need as much food as we, you know, may have been programmed to believe that we need. It's like we constantly, we, we have this idea that we constantly need to be eating food and that if you stop eating food for a few days, you're going to die and crumble. And like, I don't know that I feel like there's just a lot of like misunderstandings around fasting and how ancient of a healing technique it is like fasting is by no means something new and something that like just showed up. It's been around for thousands of years. And so if somebody was looking into doing a fast, what would you recommend? You know, where could they find information? Where did you find your information? What would they, what could they start? I mean, start there's so much information on the internet. There's so many, so many people out there who have, incredible information like the first guy that comes to mind right now is like lauren lockman who runs a water fasting facility in it's actually in costa rica i believe um so it'd be worth checking him out um but yeah i mean there's so much information out there and a lot of people out there who like talk about their own personal experiences by going through like a five-day fast or seven-day fast um yeah So maybe like, like you could just start off by doing intermittent totally before you go into like a seven day routine. Yeah. Just to kind of get your body like into that, into that flow. Like when we were in Costa Rica, there was three of us and uh, our one buddy had never done fasting period at all. Like he had never practiced intermittent fasting or anything. Um, and he made it to about two and a half days, which was actually super impressive for someone who's never done you know, fasting period, whereas me and my other buddy have been doing intermittent fasting for like years now. Um, but uh, yeah, I totally agree with that. Yep. It, it'd be a good idea to begin with like intermittent fasting, just like skipping one meal in the day and uh, and starting there and getting curious and getting educated about fasting because it's like, it's truly phenomenal what the body is capable of when it just takes a break from food and you just give your body that break. Like you're not going to die you like the world record for the longest fast. It's like 382 days or whatever. Have you heard of that? It is totally nuts. <laughs> no, that's nuts. Yeah, a little over a year. So and like it was like a supervised a fast. This guy was in a hospital and he was like, um, so was, and he was taking like supplements, I believe, like potassium and things like that. But he had no food and he went from being 480 pounds to like 180 pounds, like just this epic transformation but it just shows you like you know what we're capable of doing and it's almost funny like fasting is like could be i was thinking about this earlier like the earth right now in the state it's in it's like on this like lockdown thing like everything is just like stopped and look at like the restoration that's taken place in the earth just from like it being stopped for just a short period of time like there's less pollution in the in the skies the 
animals are showing up the water is getting clear in like different parts of the world so it's so funny to like see this restoration take place on a global level and it's like our bodies are like this microcosm of the earth itself and it's like it's if we just give our bodies that break from food the healing effects are like pretty much miraculous the body is so wise So it's almost like the earth yeah, is going 100%. through like a massive fast itself right now. And so the whole idea of fasting is that uh, without consuming food products, your body's given a rest from sending the energy that it takes to try exactly. and digest like, the food. It, actually, like around like the three, four day mark, when you're in a fast, your body basically goes into autophagy. This is just a touch of science, but it, it's very simple to understand. Like once your digestive system has nothing to do, like it's not sending nutrients to different organs in the body and like, uh, you know, doing whatever it doing, doing, doing its job. Once it has nothing to do and it's come to a complete halt, all of that energy that goes into those things is now goes into autophagy, which is basically like the search and destroy mode. And it goes throughout your entire body and destroys like any abnormal cells any abnormal tissues, basically anything extraneous that's just been hanging out in your body, that's when your your body is kind of going to work and like just like cleaning up, you know, this garbage that and toxins and and uh, chemicals and whatnot that have just been sitting around in the body. So it really is this like epic way of of healing, and uh, it really is like a complete like reset, a complete not only reset. physically but also like emotionally too. Like you. I experienced like, you know, different emotions kind of come up. Like you start to, you feel things more intimately on that seven day fast, even like going outside, like looking at the trees and looking at the sky and stuff. Like it almost appeared to be like psychedelic. It was, it was just like so, so vivid and colorful and bright and crisp. And like, yeah, you really, really get into like in tune with your body and your emotions. I feel and it's like a spiritual practice, like like some of these spiritual experiences people have had through fasting is like phenomenal. It's it's out of this world, literally. So talk to me about the emotions that you yeah, experienced. Oh, I can't remember specifically what came up, but I mean like when we were in Costa Rica, like basically we had this routine, right? Like we'd all we'd wake up roughly around like five thirty six, we'd jump into meditation followed by breath work followed by some kind of movement like yoga and then we journal and then we would all check in um we check in with each other which was super healing like to be in that like kind of this like container with two other men who are like open and um you know there and like holding we're holding space for each other so it was it was a really beautiful process but in this in this event when we were like fasting um, I just remember like emotions from my, like my childhood were like coming up and it was like, ah, oh, it's hard, it's hard to explain almost. It's, um, just take your time, take your time. I wish I could remember specifically what it was, but just like feeling these feelings all the way through like I know my friend had a lot of 
a lot of stuff specifically from when we were younger and and he just opened up so beautifully and you could tell that like he was like breaking through all of these you know emotional barriers that were you know previously not so easily accessed i feel and he like opened up fully to us and it was it was like really really healing for him i could tell and it and it was it was this beautiful thing to witness him you know own that emotion and feel that emotion and feel safe enough to like be in that emotion in front of us and uh we talked about it later and and we both agreed that like yeah like you know it, this is definitely not just a physical detox like emotions come through emotions come up and uh and it's almost like easier to like you know, cry in those states where it's like you have nothing in your body, like your body is just like stripping away all of all of its resources. And you're just left with like you, yourself, and your thoughts and your feelings, you know, like, you're not thinking about food anymore. You're just like drinking water, and sitting there resting and reading and whatever. But, you know, in that sacred space that we had to explore these things with each other and like be willing to like dive into dive into certain aspects of ourselves it was it was a lot more um intense at least for within a couple of days of that fast and so just from what you've said there i guess i didn't really think about how much space or time or thinking is actually taken up on a daily basis around food. So we wake up and we think what we're going to have for breakfast, you know, then it gets to midday and we think, "Mm, what am I going to have for lunch? You know, it's barely even 3 p.m. and we're already thinking, what are we going to cook cook for dinner? So I didn't even really like think about it in that capacity. Yeah, it's true. You you realise real quick just how much time and energy you spend on exactly that like even thinking about food and like thinking about like buying food and that's not even cooking it or making yeah, it no exactly it's like it's just not really a thought and all you're concerned about is like drinking water and yeah so yeah it really if you really see it really puts into perspective just how much time we think about on a daily basis about food and how big of a role that is in our daily lives so when we eliminated it completely, you know, we're left with just ourselves and that's it. Raw emotion. Like just you like were, raw it's emotion. Just you. That's it. And so was it quite emotional for you? Did you cry mm. through this? No, I don't think I did actually have like a good healthy cry. I wish I did. Like I, I wish... It, crying is like the most healing thing of all time since I've kind of been like on this path of emotional awareness and understanding childhood trauma. I like pride myself when I like am feeling something so deeply within myself that I can literally like cry. It's like, I'm imagining myself like purging all of this, like stored energy patterns, this pain that I've been holding on to in my body somewhere. And then to actually like physically purge that in the form of tears is so so healing especially in like a sacred container with other open individuals to like hold you in that space and to to witness you in that place it's it's like a very uh it's a very healing process 
And so going back toward, you know, childhood and your childhood traumas, let's <laughs> just get into the nitty-gritty. Like let's just like let's just get get vulnerable. Talk to me about talk to me about how you grew up and the childhood traumas that you faced. Like I know I started off with the with asking you about it at the start, but I feel like we're we're in deep enough now. So mm. let's just talk wow. about it. I mean, a lot of my awareness around childhood trauma didn't even make itself like relevant or prevalent in my life until um like back in July. Um and within the summer and like within the last like eight months or so. Um so did you want to get into like that process or like the actual like events that like took place? <laughs> Both, all of it. Give, give me it all. We oh, want to hear my. it. The people want to hear I don't it. Know how much I can like say publicly. <laughs> everything, oh. everything. Let it out. Let it out. I mean, gosh. I just want to be like respectful to, you know, who was involved. I don't know how they would feel about me, like speaking about that publicly. Um, yeah, no. I mean, it's we like, don't need to say names. Hmm. I mean, growing up, like we we just like, we moved around a lot, you know, like I had like a vastly different childhood from like basically all my friends that I grew up with. Like, like I was the only one who didn't grow up with a father. Um, I, we moved around like several, several times, probably like, I don't know, like 10 different locations throughout our childhood, like within like the same kind of subdivision of the city. Um, so there was just a lot of movement, a lot of like, a lot of instability, you know, a lot of chaos and as a young child. Like I have no way, like, I'm not like thinking about this stuff. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, it's not something I'm like aware of what's happening or I'm like consciously like feeling emotions and like feeling the feelings of moving again and this and that. So, I mean, yeah, like growing up, we obviously we didn't have a father around and my mom held it down. And like, I just have the utmost love and respect and compassion for her especially in retrospect being in this like state of clarity that I'm in now in the state of um, awareness and like just understanding what it was that she went through as an individual and like the strength it must take for a single mother to raise two kids, you know, in the process and of just like navigating through this like three dimensional matrix and like trying to figure it out. Um, then we basically had, we had a stepdad come into our life um, which was all right for a bit, but then he turned out to be actually like rather abusive as time went on. And um, yeah, it was, that was like a really tough chapter in my life. And I was quite young again. This is like from the age of like nine till 13 roughly. And as a young kid, I'm not like aware of what that is playing, you know, what kind of effects that has on my psyche, you know, growing up. Um, so you had no 
real father figure and the first yeah. kind of father figure that was in your life was displayed in in a Full in a you know totally, toxic, like masculine toxic masculine relationship. And so how did that play out in you forming you know the relationship with yourself as a man and how did that play out in your relationships great, as you got older great with question. women? Like basically it's so obvious to me growing up um, like if I were to analyze my past relationships, like just the codependency that showed up on my part, like the, the need for external validation, the need to be like loved and the need to feel secure and like this, like self-sabotaging unconscious acts and behaviors that I would go through, like this torturous process I would put myself through and like just to basically find love outside of myself because I didn't really know how to access that on my own. You know, I didn't have this like sense of independence. I had this sense of like total dependence and like even in my most recent relationship, it's so obvious in, in different ways that I showed up as like codependent and like insecure and like not, not seeing or hearing her and not giving her, you know, what I think we look for in a relationship is that masculine and feminine dynamic of like just being able to hold someone in a space where they feel safe to express themselves fully and they're not going to like mistrust your perception. And, and I don't like, I feel like I'm kind of going off track right now. I don't know. This is a free, yeah, free flow I mean, conversation. The biggest ways in which it showed up for me was just showing up as codependency. And I would attract these like toxic people in like previous relationships. It's like that classic uh, dynamic between the empath and the narcissist. You know, like it's, it's funny to, to have like look back and see how that came up. Um, in my different dynamics and, and just kind of analyze and see how that played out. And yeah, there's just a lot of unawareness, a lot of, a lot of codependency. So can you give me examples of some of the behaviors or um, patterns that you would play out in these relationships? I think there was this like this savior complex I had of like this, this need to like try to like fix someone or save someone, you know, like to just like help this person. Um, it's like, Oh, I can totally help. This person's clearly in pain. Um, this person clearly needs help. Like I'm the perfect person. And I would often sacrifice my own needs and repress my own emotions and my own desires and compromise those totally just to fulfill their desires and their needs and, and their, you know, what it was that I perceived that they wanted. And um, so just a lot of like neglect on my own desires and this like this strange thing of like, I can fix this person, I can help this person, instead of just like being with that person, witnessing them and loving them exactly where they are, realizing there's nothing to be fixed, there's only something to be witnessed. You know, if someone's like, 
expressing that they're in pain or that they're just they're they're going through something or just complaining about anything like it's not like it's not like this person is saying hey give me help i need your help i need this i need that it's like it just needs to be witnessed because i I believe none of us are virtual none of us are like broken at the core of it like our soul is already whole our soul is already complete there's nothing that needs to be fixed there's only something that just needs to be witnessed and seen and heard and held and loved And so do you think by having that kind of outward projection, you know, like they need help, I need to, you know, I need to try and save them, et cetera, do you think that by by playing out that program, it's a way to not have to look at your shadows or your your issues that may need to be? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Looked at? Yeah. It's just this constant like projection and like a lot of it's like unconscious, you know, like this reminds me of that quote by Carl Jung. It's like something like until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate or something like that. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's, it's that yeah. showed up for me in my previous relationships, just these unconscious like, um, traumas and insecurities coming through in the form of like a projection onto this person. It's like, if I can fix this person or if I can help this person, they'll give me some kind of like approval. And in that approval, that's where I find myself validation. And that's where I find myself love. And then I'm whole, you know, it's like this strange like cycle that is like textbook trauma. And it's like this people pleasing mentality I used to have of like just not wanting to cause tension. So as a result, I would just suppress and repress my, my own needs and my own emotions, my own desires. And so in your sexual relationships, (laughs) how did, how did that uh, play out? Like, do you think that you had healthy sexual relationships and talk to me about um you know having a healthy sexual energy exchange and and how you think um sharing sexual energy with people uh can impact you on a on on quite a deep level if you're really not harnessing Mm, your energy in a healthy way i feel like i feel like when you have sex with someone and you like, as a man, you like enter someone or as a woman, you let someone enter you. It's like, it's almost like I view it like you're like receiving like a computer download of all this person's emotions, all of this person's trauma, all of this person's information into you. And so I think there's something to be like said for like being conscious of who you're having sex with. And, and if you are going to have like sex with someone, you know, in, you know, like a, a one-off kind of, kind of way, um, maybe just like having some kind of like consciousness behind that, like making it a conscious choice, not this like compulsive egotistical desire to get like a notch on your belt or whatever. Like I view sex as like this very, very sacred, special act that has so much incredible potential when it comes to experiencing like ecstasy and connection and like true healing. Like, I think there's like incredible levels of healing that are accessible through like a conscious partnership in the sense of like having 
a super healthy and conscious sexual relationship with, you know, someone else. Being able to share that with someone. And how does that um, play out with your views of um, the balance of the masculine and feminine? Mm, How do you mean? So talk to me about, um, you know, um, your ideas on where and how we're shifting at this point in time uh, into the more uh, feminine aspect and how you think that's going to impact uh, relationships and totally. sexual well, relationships. Well, I look at like, so this kind of ties into like the potential that is available in a sexual exchange between a man and a woman. It's like in respects to like the masculine and feminine dynamic, it's like, I feel like as we're moving into this age of like the divine feminine and this era of that energy, like rising, like women stepping into their power and stepping into their like fullest expression as a man in my masculine, I'm being called and invited to like, it's like, how can I, how much, how much space available can I, can I have accessible for my partner, for my woman? Like how, how, uh, it's like an invitation to a deeper sense of presence. You know what I mean? And it's allowing, um, like in a sexual nature, I feel like the first thing that came to my mind is like being able to hold. And this kind of ties into like what, what we talked about yesterday, like semen retention and stuff. It's like being able to withhold your seed in the midst of like your woman, you know, being able to withhold ejaculation in the midst of like, for example, your woman having an orgasm and not, not just like getting so excited and, and just like, you know, exploding right then and there, but rather being able to like harness her energy and circulate that energy through your body. And then you can have this beautiful, like cosmic sexual experience. Does that make sense? I feel like, yeah like so there's like insane potential behind sexual alchemy um but also like just in the sense of like a masculine and feminine dynamic it's like i feel like the feminine desires just to be witnessed fully and the masculine is the space in which um she may feel safe to be in her full expression and i feel like as men were being called into this like up leveled um, version like this evolved masculine self like totally shattering the old paradigm and and stereotype of masculinity this like toxic mas- masculinity like stereotype that's outdated you know we're being called into a deeper level of presence and the women in her divine feminine is being you know is stepping into their power so it's it's an invitation for us as men to you know it's like how much how much presence can we hold like can we truly help her step into her fullest expression can we can we hold the space <clears throat> for this magnificent beautiful human to step into her full expression and get to a place that she couldn't get to on her own like i feel like that's generally like what i see in the divine feminine and divine masculine you know paradigm 
of conscious relationships. I think I can probably uh, speak for every woman out there listening. Is this registering? Uh, we I'm love like, you. I'm like, fuck, am, am I like, am I expressing <laughs> this right right now? Every time, like, I like, I like understand these things. I like know them in my soul. It's just when I start talking to people, I'm like, fuck, is this like making sense? Like, like I get it. I understand it. It's just, am I like using the right words for this right now? <laughs> Okay, good. It's perfect. It's perfect. And so let's get back to this, this, hot, topic. this hot topic. Spicy. Uh, this juiciness of yes. semen retention because everyone wants to know about it. Everyone wants to talk about it. It's, I feel like it's a relatively new concept in mainstream space, but I know it has been practiced for... Uh, quite some time uh, I feel like is this a result of you coming into understanding conscious relationships on a deeper how level is that start? how it like, kind I of think started I just started seeing again like it started on YouTube I started like seeing this whole like nofap community online actually uh, and nofap basically was this like online movement that started on reddit um, and I think the point of it was to help guys like get over like a porn addiction like to stop watching porn um and I don't know, I just kind of like was listening to these guys' experiences when they were going through it. And like, then I kind of got into deeper and like and the term semen retention came up. And then I started looking to that. And then I realized like how ancient of a practice this is and how, uh, how sacred our seed is, you know, like that information, the same life force that can literally create a human being I have inside of me right now. And like the power behind harnessing that energy um, and transmuting that energy, that like strong sexual urge that we all have and taking that same life force and then transmuting it into like your work and into your uh, passions, into your business, into, into whatever. So, yeah, it kind of came up just randomly. What so is it? It's what basically... Is it? What semen is retention semen is basically retention? you are not ejaculating as a man. You are like holding your seed and there's like levels to this shit too it's like you you can get to a point where it's like you like okay so fuck i could go in like so many directions here um <laughs> yeah go in all of them go in all of them i mean like okay well my experience about when i first got into it i was so curious about it and i was just like obsessed with it i'm like holy shit and then i started like practicing it and then i started feeling this like life force energy like inside of me it was like this live this live entity this live energy that was inside of me at all times and i could like feel it come through my skin i could feel it in my words i could feel it in the way i could show up i could feel it in my smile like there was just like this extended sense of confidence i had um but not in a cocky way just like in a like in like i'm owning my power kind of way and I'm like confident in myself. So it's like a lot of like, there was just a lot of like uh, energy that I felt like I was harnessing. And it, it, it was, it was epic. Like I had all this extra energy all of a sudden I was working out a lot more. And yeah, I don't know. I think like the immediate effects is like, you just have this like surge of testosterone. And then it's like a lot of guys notice that they're just, their confidence goes up through the roof, but it gets deeper, you know, like you get to a certain level of practice where, 
you can gain such control over your sexual energy and achieve sexual mastery, which I think was like my initial motivation behind it. My initial draw is like to have complete and total control over that urge, like that sense control over myself. Um, and, and then taking that into the bedroom in a sexual way. And then like exploring the different ways in how, you know, you can actually experience non ejaculatory orgasms. You can experience full body orgasms. You can experience multiple orgasms as a man, like all of these concepts kind of kept coming in. And I was actually able to like experience this a couple times. Um, when I actually like really, you know, got into it and it has so much to do with the breath and like consciously circulating this energy through you. So yeah, gosh, I mean, there's, there's just so much to this topic. It's been around forever. It's like a very ancient practice in like Hinduism and Buddhism and, uh, the Egyptian culture and they all have like a name for it. You know, it's all this, it's all life force energy in the Tao. It's called Chi and in uh, Hinduism, it's called prana. I think in Egyptian culture, it's kundalini. Um, so th- there's a lot of like, there's a lot of history behind it. It's a very ancient spiritual practice where they understood like the power in withholding your semen, basically, and circulating the energy, transmuting it into something new. And so, how long have I've you been, been doing it since? Doing it. Uh, what month is it now? Like it's, it's been almost a year and a half roughly. Okay. And you've had yeah. relationships, like sexual for sure. relationships. Yeah. Like I've definitely, I haven't like withheld this. for that entire time. Um, but I could probably count on my hands how many times I've actually like ejaculated. And like, there's many times where it's like, even, even in the midst of sex, I would withhold from, you know, ejaculating, which at some times was, was, you know, obviously super hard, but other times when you can kind of get a grasp and control of your breath, it was actually amazing at how my partner would respond to in the time, you know, in the different experiences, like how, how that would translate like this certain level, mm. there's a certain level of presence that we can bring to the bedroom um, with this life force energy, you know, being conscious and moving that energy through your body consciously and, and paying attention to your breath, you know, the whole way through, it's all in the breath I'm telling you. And, uh, yeah, there's like, there's just like, you, you feel, I feel in those moments where it's like, you, you know, you're just in this midst of like a powerful exchange of energies and, uh, and you have that control, like, you know, you're in control. And that totally translates for the partner too. And it's like, again, it's like that sense of like safety. It's a classic masculine feminine dynamic. It's like, she just wants to feel safe. If she can trust you fully that you're not going to like ejaculate and that you, you are in complete and total control of your sexual energy. Like it just opens up a whole other like door in the bedroom for you and your partner. And it's much easier to do this in like a conscious partnership, I think like if you're both on the same page, still possible if it's just like one sided, but it's, it's much, much easier and more pleasurable, obviously when you, you know, both parties are on the same page and desire the same thing. 
Juicy. Gosh, Juicy. Yeah. It's <laughs> amazing. I was like so passionate about that like Juicy. a year ago, right when I got into it. I I start, like I filmed YouTube videos of it and I like st- I was just, like blasting this on my Instagram and I think like so many of my friends are, like, dude, what the fuck are you talking about? Like what is what is sexual transmutation? I think like that just the message just <laughs> did not get across. <laughs> I was just too excited. Yeah. Probably it's a pretty only for those who are ready for it, I guess. Right. Well, thank you so much for talking to us. Do you have anything else that Mm. you would like to talk about? Any parting words of wisdom? Any parting words of wisdom? I would say now, like given the time that we're in collectively, like this is like there has never been a better time to just go inward and like work on yourself and and you know spend time in meditation and spend time getting like super honest with yourself and like you know get curious about yourself like like think about i don't know the gosh there's there's so much i could part words with here <laughs> like, I, I just think it's like the prime opportunity to like level up and 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 get serious about like your power as a human being cuz I think if we're going to step into our power, like now is the time and, and like your gift, like your authenticity, like you being who you are, that is the greatest possible gift you could ever give to the world. Like you don't need to change anything like you as you are is fucking perfect. Like you're a miracle. And I think you should honor that. That was so, yeah. You are just beautiful. <laughs> I think everybody is going to love you. And thank you, thank so, you so much, much for coming on and talking Bye. to us. Just so raw and vulnerable. And I know <laughs> that honor. I definitely yeah, you push me. You push put me. you on the good. spot. I liked it. So. I, I'm definitely feeling vulnerable right now. I'm like, shit, like, damn, like, did I say Everyone too much? Needs- did I say too little? But, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah that's what i love everyone about. needs a little push well thank you so much thank you everyone for listening you have just been listening to ascending earth gypsy collective and we've just finished speaking with my austin honor, my thank you so much again austin and I just can't wait. Let's do for it again. Our next I'm all little in, chat, baby. our next little chat ski. Take care. Thank you.